1: Yo, welcome back to the Music Business Podcast. This is your co-host, Jordan Williams, with my other co-host,
0: Sam Heisel. And today we have a very esteemed guest, Andre Willem Benz, at Benz, uh, the founder and CEO of The Nations. The Nations is an incredible company. They started as a YouTube channel of just being Trap Nation, which now has over 26 million subscribers. Since then, they've opened up a bunch of other different YouTube channels, Rap Nation, Chill Nation, the list goes on, R&B Nation. Um, and what's cool is not only have they built this massive network of YouTube channels that has amassed tens of millions of subscribers, but they've, they found ways to really leverage that influence towards different business lines. They've also started a record label, management company, live events production arm. Um, it's really, really cool. And I, what excites me is the fact that if you look at what's shifting when it comes to, Uh, record labels. I mean, you're seeing companies like 88 Rising or even like No Jumper, another awesome podcast that actually does a joint venture with another major label and releases singles, releases actual music. I think A lot of the power that record labels want comes from these different kind of media companies that have access to these cool audiences that are able to discover new talent and break new emerging talent. So I think it was uh, really interesting not only to talk to somebody that is a part of this new wave of disruptive and very innovative record labels, but also even hearing him say that like he doesn't necessarily think this is about to completely take the major labels off of their pedestal and kind of eradicate them, but really spoke as to kind of what their purpose is in the market and in the progression of artists. So I think, um, whether or not you want to grow an audience online, whether you're interested in, in what the future of the music industry and record labels and kind of media in the music landscape looks like, I think this, this episode was awesome and truly a special guest. I think, uh, company 16 people strong, um, Without any other further ado, though, I think we should jump right into it. What do you think, Jordan? All right, let's do it. Boom. Andre, what's good, man? Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well,
2: man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Super excited to have you on. Um, Obviously, I think uh, the nation, Strap Nation, has come a really long way, and I think it's been an amazing journey to see. Um, But we'd love to just start off with the founding story. I mean, I think, where did it begin when you started? Did you have aspirations to do what you're doing
2: today? Um, I mean, I, I started it mostly, I mean, I started when I was 15 in high school, so I didn't really have any aspirations to work in music when I was that young. I mean, I didn't have aspirations to do anything when I was that young. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone does have aspirations to do anything that young, um, except like the super intelligent kids in high school. But uh, no, I, I mean, I was super into video games when I was young as a kid, uh, especially when I was like 12, 13, I, I assume most kids were, were into video games at that time as well, but I wasn't really into like playing COD or Xbox. My parents would never buy me any video games or anything. Uh, we had one family PC in the entire, it's like a living room PC that everyone gets to use and you get like two hours or I got two hours a day to kind of go on it. Um, and I would just gameplay like RuneScape World of Warcraft with my friends after school for as long as possible. And then the only time I noticed that I could spend more time than I'm allowed on the computer is if I wake up super early or like trying to get on right before school or something like that. So I'd wake up super early all the time and just go play video games with my friends. Mm -hmm. And then from there, because video games is such a community-based kind of platform with with obviously the friends after school, um, we'd all just listen to music uh, and share kind of tunes on a playlist that we'd make on YouTube or at the time SoundCloud and stuff like that. Um, And at the time, I was really into dubstep and like rave music. And this was when I was like 12, 13. Mm I remember when I was 14, I found Skrillex watching uh, Spark Mac on Twitch. This is when Twitch was just coming up really early. So I was kind of just like watching Spark Mac, which is a really popular streamer at the time. One of the bigger ones, for sure, on RuneScape. And he was playing Skrillex. And I was like, oh my God, this is the sickest thing ever. Um, (laughs) And then that's when I, that's when I, that's the funny thing. That's when I actually realized I was, started getting really into music. So then I found like Daft Punk. I found uh, Grizzly. I found, um, fuck, what's the other one? I don't know, like all the old like DJ, oh, um, Cookie Monster, like all the old, super old mm. like uh DJ, Dubstep DJs. And I realized that I started to really enjoy music, listening to music while I was playing these video games. So down the line, I, I eventually found this channel called UKF Dubstep, which was the first, one of the first of the many uh, curation channels on YouTube. I think actually the first curation channel on YouTube was this channel called Liquid City, which uploaded, uh, uploaded Liquid Durban uh, Bass, on On YouTube and they're they're quite an old channel but I didn't really discover them until I was probably like 16, 17 when I kind of fell in love with drum and bass um, but when I found UKF Dubstep I thought oh my god this is the sickest thing ever this guy just uploads music he likes and he enjoys similar to what I want to do right now and it's and people enjoy it and they love it and it builds a community based on uh, people that love music as well Right, and it's all very positive as well Like I would say now with the EDM industry or the EDM community it can be a bit more like it can be a bit more negative. I think back then, five, six years ago, it was, a, it was a way more positive scene. It was all about really loving and discovering new music from the from the get-go. So I thought, okay, this is really cool, but I don't want to start a Dubstep channel just because I don't know anything about Dubstep. It's been around for a while. There's other channels that are doing it. Why just try and oversaturate that market and, mm-hmm. and join against these other big dogs? Because um, there's a few other after UKF Dubstep that started. Um, so then my friend in high school, I remember we are playing RuneScape, and he's like, dude, I found this genre called trap music, and I was like, oh, trap music. What the hell is that? Sends me the Flosser Domus remix of Major Laser original "Dawn," which was like probably yeah. one of the first trap remixes that came out at the time. So far. Um, next to like the Carnage remix of uh, Hardwell' Spaceman, which was another like classic at the time. And I was like, dude, this is the sickest thing I've ever heard in my life. What <laughs> yeah. the fuck? Like, why is why is this not bigger than than uh, Dove Step? And then I. I looked up like any channels that promoted it. There was one called All Trap Music, and I was like, okay, this one channel has not many subscribers at all. Um, why don't I just create a channel and just do it for the fuck? You know, just, mm-hmm. just do it for the fun, uh, kind of turn it into like a playlist where I can just share it with my friends and right. like any song, any song that I like or they like, I just throw it on the channel with a right. logo. Right, right. Um, and this is back when YouTube's like monetization tab feature was super new. So monetization was quite new. And this is back when the claiming, like, content ID claiming, was quite new as well. So yeah. you could get away with like uploading random. And I'm not recommending this to anybody, but right. back then you could you could get away with uploading content really without permission. Nothing would really happen right. at the time. And as a 15 year old, I didn't understand music copyright or publishing or master right. rights or any of that bullshit. The legal side of it. I mean, I didn't even know what royalty meant when I was 15. Right, right, right. Um, So I kind of just uploaded whatever. And then later down the line, uh, more channels started popping up, and I realized that. Uh, there's a huge niche in dance music for remixes so i uploaded uh this remix by Caked Up of Miley Cyrus Miley Cyrus wrecking ball so i uploaded that and that was my first like truly big big remix on my channel and then after that i realized um okay remixes are the way to go to kind yeah. of get mm-hmm. views and exposure and And because these remixes were so new at the time, no one was really, it wasn't as a thing like right now, it's like, okay, remix a song, you're going to get a lot of views because it's a big pop song. Back then, no one really thought, okay, I'm going to remake a song and get a lot of views. It was more or less just like, I fuck with a song. I want to remix it. Right. So it wasn't really about like trying to get as many clicks as possible. It was just doing it because the remixes sounded good. But I realized after uploading this one that blew up, I was like, holy fuck, there's a niche for this and people love these remixes. Right. Um, so I uploaded the Dr. Dre remix from Son holo I uploaded the Linium remix of Chainsmokers Don't Way Down. And these were all, Linium was a nobody. Well, not a nobody, but he was he was quite small. Holo was quite literally a nobody back then, like 300 followers on SoundCloud. Yeah. He uploaded this remix, did pretty well. It was on SoundCloud Trending when SoundCloud Trending was like quite a thing back then, Right, somewhere mm-hmm. to hype him. Um, and I was like, dude, I'm going to fucking upload this. Fuck. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was first channel uploaded, and it just took the fuck off. And I was like, holy shit. And then... Another one, and another one, and another one, and then Marshmallow came along and uploaded uh, "Keep It Mellow," and that blew up. And then it was just all these concurrent videos conglomerating over millions and millions of views a day. Right. Um, together, they just kind of just skyrocketed the channel. And then yeah. from there, it was just a learning lesson based on how to grow it and maximize all the audience members and right. build retention and build a community and a brand and all that stuff. Right. Yeah.
1: What, what were some of the first things you did to build that community? Um.
2: Community engagement was a really big one. Mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, there's different ways. I think when people can build communities, especially there's like building a community on YouTube is far fetched differently from building a community for an artist. Really, it is. Um, An artist is more singular. It's more built around a personality and the figure as a whole. Um, Most artists are obviously built around their face and how they act and how they people perceive themselves. For me, because it's not about me, it's about the brand. Uh, it's really about how do I how do I create a personality figure behind Trab Nation where people can relate to it on a personal mm-hmm. level, uh, which is extremely difficult. Like for example. Uh, Coca Cola. No one can relate to Coca Cola because it's a multi-billion-dollar conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Whereas now you see social media accounts like Wendy's and Doritos That's and fun. Slim Jims, which is Long Boy Gang, and all these different, all <laughs> these different like social media accounts for these conglomerate corporate companies. They hire twenty-year-old dudes to run their social media because they wanted to be about memes and be a little bit more personal mm-hmm. and right. be a little bit more cultural towards young people. Um, and when I started Trap Nation, I realized that this was so important because I was a kid, I was young, and I realized corporate companies and, and most companies in general just cannot relate to young cultural kids that mm-hmm. just want to look at cool content and, and interact with people on right. a similar, you know, wavelength. Uh, so I, I dedicated a lot of my times, time on the channel towards commenting back to people, replying to people's comments, uh, listening to feedback, which was like a huge one. I think. You know, with these type of things, because it's built around a community, it's not because it's not about you. It's about this about this community about curating good music. It's really important to listen to fans and understand what they want, so you can keep curating them good music. That's what curation is, is at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's about listening to feedback and curating based on what that feedback tells you. If you're not listening to your fans, you're just curating to yourself. Right. Um, and most channels, most most if you're if you're curating to yourself, it just dies over time. Right. So, because YouTube is such a community based platform, I really just dug into like replying back to people, listening to people, Mm -hmm. Uh, making someone feel like an individual, which is really important, not just like another person in a group. Totally. totally. Um, That was a huge part of it. And then after that, it was really just trying to figure out ways to interact with people in a different way other than just YouTube, whether it was creating a, a Discord server to create a little exclusive community there, whether it was creating a Facebook group. Whether it was creating exclusive Instagram DM groups where I was like, okay, if you're a super fan, you get access to like early merch or like you know stuff like that. Right. Um, but really, the the core of it was just like replying back to people and, and interacting with people totally. from the get go, yeah, totally. from day one, yeah.
0: That's powerful. Um, definitely yeah. a lot to unpeel there. But before we even jump into that stuff. Can you talk about like the current state of the nations? Because I know obviously, I mean, it started with Trap Nation, but then you started going yeah. into other verticals, and now it's it's much more than just a, a YouTube curation network.
2: Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Um, so so basically, when Trap Nation started and it started to grow, because the name Trap Nation is kind of like it's two different things. It's really, it's like trap is kind of like the adjective, the nation is really like the whole conglomerate as a whole. Mm. Um, the idea from the gecko was was create multiple channels for multiple genres, anyways. Uh, I just didn't think Trap Nation was going to be a big thing. It was kind of just like a hobby at the time. And then once it started to grow and fans started to come in, I was like, okay, how do I maximize growth between these fans as much as possible? Because there's usually similarities. Like, for example, if someone likes dance music there's a similarity that they may also like punk music as well. Because, you know, emo kids, for example, Scruggs, he played in an emo band right before he was a big DJ. Right. And a lot of these bigger DJs are all in emo bands prior as well. So there's like similarities in, in those kind of totally, things. Totally. Um So my guess was like, okay, people that like trap music probably also like more like chill EDM as well, because yeah. I really like chill EDM. So right. I was just like kind of going off my personality at that point. Mm-hmm. So I started this, uh, this chill channel called Chill Nation with a friend who hit me up from Twitter at the time. And he was like, dude, you should start a chill channel called Chill Nation. I'm like, okay, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. You can run <laughs> it. So I literally just gave him the channel. I said, you know, run it, do whatever. And at first it didn't really do well at all. And I didn't really care. It was, it was kind of just like, you know, put it out there and, and, and just give people an opportunity and a choice to listen to something different. You don't force it on. I'm just like, oh, we have, we have Chill Nation, we have Chill Nation, chill music, fucking listen to it, force yeah, it down yeah. your throat. It was kind of just like, yo, guys, here's Chill Nation listen to it if you want. If you don't, don't care. I don't care. Like, just do your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of like my marketing standpoint out, which is just, you know, basically being as lazy as possible. But it was also, it was also like, I don't like being force-fed things down my throat, so I'm right. not going to force-feed things that people don't want down their throat either. I'm just going right. to leave it as a nice, like, open-ended option. Um, and then eventually that channel took off by uploading some Black Bear remixes um, by Tara, Taro, I think is his name. And then No Sleep Remix of Black Bear and then a few other um, bigger songs. And then obviously Dinaro, which is the most recent big upload mm-hmm. with like 40 million views in the last year on it. Um, and then because Channel Nation started to grow, I said, okay, let's do Rap Nation, let's do House Nation, let's do Bass Nation, let's do Indian Nation, R&B Nation. And now now we're uploading a Latin channel soon, the next yes, month, yes, yes. Uh, which is our next venture. Um, then besides that, you know, obviously it just keeps going. It's like, how do you maximize the growth between all these networks? Um, you know, create a record label, create a publishing company, create a management company, create a live right. events company, create everything. Again, it's like not forcing th- th- things down people's throat. It's just trying to maximize gross and revenue off these fans in the most like non explicit way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really if you have this network that you can promote music through and people have your trust as a curation network. And you can run a record label in the same manner where you're curating music as well. You're just signing it mm-hmm. to the record label. Um, that was kind of my, my next idea with it. So I started a record label called Loli. Um, and that was really um, kind of like the first, I, guess, I guess like the first project other than Trap Nation where I put a lot of pa- passion and ambition into it. Um, I put a ton of money into just branding it into this like super nice visually appearing appealing record label on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it paid off at first, for sure. We put a ton of effort and time into it. We made sure the visuals were all really unique right. and, and aspiring on the channel. And fans just fucking loved it. They, right. they, you awesome. know, they, they really enjoyed it. And it was awesome to see them enjoy it because I just put so much time and passion into it as well. Um, I get bored of things fast. So I was, I was getting bored of Trap Nation because I didn't see much potential with that channel mm-hmm. or just the nations as a whole um, anymore. So I was like, okay, I want to start a record label and just restart right. and, and give something someone fre- or give something to these fans that's fresh and new on a right. record label music perspective. Um, and then now obviously after the record label, I'm doing like management and stuff like that. So nice. yeah, it's, like the whole venture now.
0: That's amazing. What um I mean, are you in do you enjoy this part? I mean, obviously you've had to like switch a lot of hats as you've kind of gone deeper into the industry. Yeah. Like versus early on. I mean, it was not very like business centric. It was just you curating stuff for your friends. I mean, do you still have that same feeling?
2: Um, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah I, mean, dude, I mean, dude, the older you get, the more, the more jaded you get on certain topics. Yeah. I think I, obviously I still love music. I think my job is, is one of the most incredible things. I'm so fortunate to be able to right. work where I am. Um, I think like when you know, when I was a kid, everything is so new and fresh, and it's just so much fun. And then you don't really realize I think how important like the legal side of things are and the business formulation of things are and the, and the foundation of everything is. And those are things I just learned over time. You know, when I moved from New Jersey to California when I was 17, I moved to Silicon Valley for two years and I was surrounded by these really intelligent people mm-hmm. um, that I didn't get surrounded by in New Jersey. And it kicked my ass because I didn't realize how important it was to have permission agreements signed. I didn't realize how important it was to have a lawyer. I didn't import I didn't even I didn't even have a business manager. I was just doing everything by hand. And then my dad yeah. was helping me here and there. But my dad doesn't know that much about business. He's a smart guy, but he's not a business manager. He's not a lawyer. Um, so when I moved to California, I realized how much I was missing out on and how much money uh I was paying to the government that I shouldn't have been <laughs> paying. And like, you know, stupid <laughs> stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you know, when, when I moved down to LA to really start the company when I was 18, I, just, I was just like, dude, I got to move down to LA. It's a place to be. Um, Silicon Valley is not for music. Uh, that's when I started to really put pressure on myself to really build this into a company because it was at that point, it was either go to college and study something that honestly I just wasn't that interested in, or I was going to go out and pursue this this young startup company um, that I thought was just like for, for fucks, just for fun. Um, and My parents were super supportive about it. They're like, Yo, you know, you're already making money doing this. You might as well do this. Why not? And I was like, Yeah, that's a good idea. But what if it you fails? probably learn a lot quicker that yeah, way, you, too? Dude, the amount, of, <laughs> the amount of information I learned moving to LA and just surrounding myself by like really intelligent, older, smarter people mm-hmm. was one of the best decisions I've ever done in my life. It was also probably one of the hardest because I was sitting there as this young, naive kid thinking I was the shit in LA. Around all these really important managers and business people. And because you're so naive and you're so young, people take advantage of you as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one advice I give to anybody. If you're young and you have a company, you're gonna get taken advantage of no matter who you're friends with. Um, and that was, it was just hard to uh, decipher who was actually like trying to help me and who was actually just trying to get a piece of something. And that was like a huge issue just living in LA, especially because everyone there is just like, oh, let me help you, let me help you, let me help you. But it's also like, let me get 10%, let me get 5%. I'm like, all right, guys, whatever. So I I try to surround myself around really good people, which was amazing. They all helped me kind of like formulate the business to where it is now. Um, I learned a lot about how to run a business and how just to be like more mature as a person in general. Mm -hmm. And then eventually. I just got sick of LA. I thought it was, I thought I got <laughs> what I got out of it, and I and I got what I needed out of it, really. And I was like, okay, I'm moving back to the East Coast. Fuck mm-hmm. this shit. Yeah. Um, and now, I, obviously,
1: I love where I live. Right. Um, who were some of those mentors that you could depend on?
2: Um, it was just like older people in the music industry. that were managers like Jake Udell was a really big help at the time. Uh, I would always go to him and ask questions. Um, who else? So it was just like a lot of people that worked at like UTA, uh, Sony. Uh, Interscope, a lot of people that worked at Interscope were really big help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the people that really helped build the company were people that still work at the company that I hired today, um, like the president of the company, Creighton, and then Kirk, who's like my right hand man on the AR side, uh, Sean, who worked at my company for a while, who now works at YouTube. All these people were like incredible people that helped me get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I owe them so much to, right. to get here, obviously. Right. Uh, but now, yeah, the, camp, the obviously, it's a company now. You know, There's a lot of employees. We have 16 full time employees, all based in LA. Um, you know, we have to pay salaries. It's not just about doing things for fun anymore. It's about mm-hmm. making sure we make enough money. It's about meeting margins. at sometimes, um, obviously, the core of everything is is just do it. Do it for the fans. Do it for the artists. Make sure we're right. putting out good music every single day, um, and just make sure we're having fun as well. If you're not having right. fun, why do it in in the, right. in the first place? Um, and that's really the, the the whole thing with it. Also when I, when I was younger in in, in l a um uh, because I didn't have so many employees, there's just so much influx of of money coming in that I just didn't know what to do with it so i'm I'm like very fortunate now to be able to to fund and and hire people in the music industry and pay them fair, fair salaries. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a huge benefit to what I do in my daily job um so that's like one enjoyable thing that I yeah like, for
0: sure for sure for sure when it comes to i mean I, I'm very fascinated as to the fact that you've been able to create an audience, then we're created a label out of it. Because I, I personally think that if you distill labels down to their core, like value propositions, uh, I mean, this is a gross, like simplifying of it, but you have like the funding that they're often able to provide artists to create music, and then distribution. And then when it comes to the distribution side, nine times out of ten, they're really just like middle-madding distribution, whether it's through paying to run ads across different social networks, through Brokering press features on on PR outlets through PR agencies or through relationships with other media networks like your page. Yeah. So I, I mean, you starting to see you have like eighty eight rising, which has also kind of created this label model and yeah. uh, and you and I think like lyrical lemonade, massive YouTube channel, I just a yeah. casual, yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean no jumper signing records, joint yep. venture with Atlanta, like. It's happening all the time. I mean, it does seem like the ties are turning because the 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 true power is owned by those who have the actual distribution and direct yeah. access to fans. Yeah, totally. I mean, do you feel like the traditional model of record labels is on the way out?
2: No, I I, I think there's it's, it's two models that don't fight each other. Honestly, I think I think the traditional major label model will always be around. It'll always it'll always go to the curve no matter what. I mean, these are multi billion dollar companies. Um, they're smart. They're not dumb. Obviously, they're slow, and that's that's where like people like me can come in and, mm-hmm. and create these like small micro companies out of nowhere. These like young kids who have a ton of passion and ambition. They're slow. You know, they can't do what we're doing because they just it just does not make sense uh, monetarily for them to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I started this company, technically speaking, if you wanted to start something like Trap Nation at a record label, it would be a loss leader for like three years. You right. would lose money based on hiring people to run these channels, and because you're hiring people. It's not so much about um, the ambition and passion. It's more, or less just like hiring a person to do something. and They're going to do it because they're getting paid to do it. Whereas right. like kids like me, we're doing it because we just fucking love doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't. I don't think major labels are ever going to die. I think they're always going to prosper. Um, you know, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of power. They have huge catalogs. That's always going to happen. I think where where we come in is where they lack, really, like people like Biller Calamalite and, and 88 Rising and No Jumper and the Trap Nations and Majestic Casuals and the, I, I can listen on, on, on right, and on and right, on all right. these all these record labels on YouTube. Uh, they're really meant for community-based record labels. They're meant for creating these like really cool cultural movements mm-hmm. around kids who are young and want to listen to new upcoming artists. Um and they lo- and and that's really where it's at. You don't really find that many upcoming artists on major labels. You know the right. major labels will go to lyric Limades and the trap nations and they'll just take their artists and say, hey, here's a million dollars. You know, do you want it? And these artists are like, holy fuck, a million dollars! That's great because most <laughs> most of these community based record labels we're not giving huge advantages, It's just 50-50 deals. And right. We're just doing it for the fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of our model. You know, that and that makes money. That that makes money, and it's and it's pretty profitable at the end of the day. But you know, we just don't have a big checkbook to give to artists. And at the end of the day, you know, when an artist is offered $2.5 million or $5 million, you know, for like three, four albums, they're probably going to take it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a lot of fucking money. (laughs) Um, You know, that's just something that we will never provide. I don't think. Right. You know, but I mean, even with Lyrical Lemonade, for example, like Juice World, Little Pump, like all these RSCs blown up, it's fucking insane. And now they're all getting, they all got signed major labels and they're huge. You know, Mm -hmm. they got got massive checks. Yeah. Yeah, Huge (laughs) checks. Um, And then, you know, that's. He I'm sure Cole knows that's not his model and that'll never be his model. Right. But he knows that he's a discovery platform to provide those artists to those major labels, and I'm sure he's getting paid bank off some of those. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. So it's awesome. Uh I mean when you just still like do you feel from a record label standpoint, what what do you feel sets you apart? Obviously there's I mean the kind of baked in distribution, but like how else have you tried to like innovate as far as like the value you provide to artists if they're to sign with you?
2: Um I, you know, I treat it pretty simple. I, I don't try and overreach for the stars on on the record label. You know, I know I know what we're good at. I, I know we're not good at. You know, so for the record label side, really, when we sign artists, we're just trying to provide them a platform where we're you know, for for a regular artist, when we upload them to the channel, we're just uploading. Them. We're saying here, we're gonna upload you to the channel. You're hopefully you'll let us monetize. Um, and that's it. We're just gonna upload you. That's it. With artists that we're trying to develop and sign to the art to the record label. We try and really utilize the community feature of the YouTube channel and build a community around them and build fans based on our fan bases as mm-hmm. well. So for an artist that we're assigning, for example, like two lanes who we just released an EP, we're trying to really push them all the songs on the channels as much as possible. Then we do remixes to push them again in a different right. way in a different right. and almost saying like a different product to the mm-hmm. fans. Um, on on Trademation, and the more you upload an artist in a shorter time span, the more fans you can get them. Like you get them like these super hyper fans, mm-hmm. um, and that's just kind of like our core thing with it. And then we have the Spotify playlist, we have an iTunes, or Apple Music playlist, we have a Deezer playlist. We're getting an Amazon Music playlist. It's just like how many different ways can you plug an artist and all these playlists and these different community features to really build them fans and not just fans, but also like monthly listeners um, and make them money. You know, that's the right. biggest thing. You know, how do you get an artist paid at the end of the day? Yeah, uh, you know. If you give them a $5,000 advance, it's recoupable. And most of these record labels, like, I'm not going to call anyone out, but there's a lot of <laughs> record labels that are still independent that'll spend money and just spend, spend, spend money. And all of a sudden, the artists, after two years, are like, yo, where's my paycheck? Or sometimes even after like an like a semi annual, they're like, yo, where's my paycheck? Like, oh, you still owe us like $3,500. And it's the song has like two million streams. Right. Um. You know, that's not really our model either. You know, we're not about spending money. It's all about, how do you plug something in with a very low cost to make as much return as possible? So an mm-hmm. artist is getting a paycheck at the end of the day. You know, right. everyone wants a paycheck. That's the biggest thing. If you follow United Masters on Instagram, their Instagram is huge because all they do is bash major labels about giving out huge advances. And then Kid Cuddy and all these artists will go on Instagram and be like, hey, I never got paid for like two months or like little vert. They're like, I'm never making music because I haven't gotten paid for two years. Right. But then they never tell anyone about the two million dollar advance they got paid. Right. So like, it's just like yeah. it's just like this, this this like fight with the major labels fight With independence and then fight with like these artists, they're like, Oh, I want to make as much money as possible, right. But then they forgot about like the 500,000 car, 500,000 car they just bought, and then the, you know, half a million dollar mansion they just bought in LA, and it's all these different things. So, right. for us, it's about trying to actually be fair to artists and, and say, Hey, look, this is the deal, you know, we're not giving you an advance, but you're actually gonna get paid every four months or get paid every six months, depending on what the contract says. Mm-hmm. It's
1: also kind of taking advantage of that slow grind so they don't have to, yeah. they, don't, they can, they don't can like blow their money all at yeah. once, you know, what exactly,
2: I mean? exactly. It's like you know, if an artist really wants an advance, we'll we'll definitely talk to them about giving an advance. But we're really just about like trying to open up the site to to really what record labels can do. I think mm-hmm. there's a really bad rep for record labels, uh, especially major major labels, on a sense where they don't pay anybody. Mm-hmm. They definitely pay people. It's just this is just how the record label works. Everything's very really right. slow, and there's expenses, and they all need to be recouped. I'm just trying to make it more transparent.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So one thing that's interesting too is. Um, I mean, when it comes to creating sustainable careers around these artists, obviously you can get like tons of views, Uh, but like the translation between like views and actual fans and even on like Spotify. I know you guys have like yeah. one of the biggest independent playlists on Spotify and like sometimes people get on a Spotify playlists or in general will just have like great numbers on Spotify, but can't bring out anybody to a show. Yeah. So can you talk about in your experience, like. What, how you can ensure, or how how to just build fans, whether or not fans. you're getting views and and Spotify listens.
2: Totally, totally. Um, so that's actually a good question because I I actually haven't had the answer for that for a long time until <laughs> I started managing this artist called Cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and the struggle has been, you know, first off with Trap Nation, everyone says, "Why don't you guys do shows? Why don't you guys do shows?" And we've done shows, and the problem with with a, a brand like ours is because it's not really like concentrated fans. It, what I'm saying is we have a very global fan base. Whereas like only 14% of our fans live in the US. And then there's like 8% in Brazil, 6% in Germany, 4% in Romania, 4%, 4% in France. You know, it's it's so spread out. Right. And then you say, okay, let's do a US tour. And you're like, okay, let's do uh, Houston in Texas. And then we have to go through the 14% of views and see how many actually live in Texas, which is probably like 2% or 3%, right? Because mm-hmm. there's 50 states, right? In the United right, States, right. Yeah, whatever. Um, and then you go down, down to Houston, you're like, okay, now out of the 2% of the 14% of the 100%, there's only actually like 0.5% that live in Houston. Right. And so that's <laughs> the 05 of like the two percent, of the forty percent, of the hundred percent. Right. So it's really not that many fans, and then you have to lo- go look at those fans and see actually how many would actually buy tickets off right. the YouTube views. Right. And then the problem with the YouTube viewers is because the the viewers are not necessarily fans. You can't really depict who will actually buy f- buy tickets and who will actually just view the videos. Right. Um. And unfortunately, we don't even have the data to know who's viewing these videos. We just know where they're from because we have mm-hmm. the demographics. But mm-hmm. we, you know, we can't drop pixels. Where all these, like, we can't track every single person on the YouTube channel. YouTube doesn't allow us to do that. Totally. Whereas with like artists, because some of the artists that travel in the US or tour the US, they have such US, strong US based demographics, they can confidently tour around the US. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Cloud, my whole thing was like, okay, I don't, I want him to be global, but the problem is if he's global, I can't tour as strong as someone like Rez, who has like 60% of his, their fan or her fans in the US. I'm right. sure a lot of her fans are US based. Um, so what I try to do is is really just like promote his content on Trap Nation, but don't necessarily I don't really care about Trap Nation's fans necessarily loving it. I kind of just put it out and I hope they're gonna like it and they do mm-hmm. they really do enjoy it because I, I I personally think the music is incredible it's mm-hmm. just a little bit different compared to what they may hear on a daily upload right um so I'm pretty passionate about the project right now, and my whole thing is how do I get? how do we get Trap Nation fans, how do we get the ticket buyers from Trap Nation to follow Cloud? Mm-hmm. And honestly, I've, I've, I don't really have a clear answer for it. I just upload this content to it and then go. all the fans go back to his YouTube channel and then I look at the demor- demographics on his YouTube channel. But my biggest thing I noticed for just growing fans in general on social media is people. I think people care way too much about stream counts and not enough about taking the stream counts and trying to build the fans off of it. And what I mean is like, Everyone keeps saying, oh, Spotify playlist, Apple Music playlist, how do I get as many monthly listeners as possible? Because that's the only thing that matters. Whereas, like if you if you build a ton of sp- followers on Spotify, what the fuck are you gonna do with them? You know, you can't bring them to your Instagram, you can't bring right. them to your Facebook, you can't bring them to your YouTube. Build a Facebook or for me, build a YouTube. YouTube is the only platform, in my knowledge, that you can literally translate. Anyone from Spotify to Twitter to Facebook to Instagram. I mean, we're a great example. We have two million followers on a playlist on Spotify mm-hmm. and we have twenty six million followers or twenty seven million followers on YouTube on Trap right, Nation. Right. right. It's like how the fuck do we grow two million followers on Spotify? Mm-hmm. You know, YouTube allowed us to grow that playlist. How do we have all these followers on Apple Music? YouTube allowed us to grow those right. playlists. But then you look at someone who keeps trying to grow these playlists on you on, on Spotify. Look at the YouTube channel. You know, look right. at someone like no offense, but look at someone like Slander or someone like Griffin or like all these artists that have these huge Spotify listener base and they sell a lot of tickets, sure. But their YouTube channel has not that many views right, compared right, to what right, they right, should right. have. Yeah. Um, and then you look at someone like the fat rat, which is like most people don't know him, but he has almost a million subscribers on YouTube and he's fucking massive. Yeah. And he can, he can really just push as many views as he wants to his own Spotify because he has this huge YouTube platform. Whereas when it's reversed, when all these artists have these huge Spotify playlists and these all these mentally listeners, they can't sell tickets because they're just just listeners. They're not, they're not real fans. Totally. Um, and then I'm not going to get into like the logistics of growing one on Instagram. That's just based on social media knowledge and content knowledge, but. Mm In my not, in my opinion, if you want to grow fans, focus on YouTube. That's that's the easiest way.
1: Yeah, the easiest transferable easiest transferable
2: way. It's also the hardest, unfortunately, because most artists and managers don't understand how to make good quality video content. Mm -hmm. Um, I can say it's easy for me because I've done it for seven years. Right. But obviously, someone who's like an artist manager who's really good at touring, they don't understand video content just because it's so outside of their sphere. Right. Um. But I promise, if you just sit down and focus and try and create something that's worth it it'll pay off in the long
0: run. So what kind of content do you think is valuable for artists uh, on YouTube? And I definitely want to like spend a decent chunk of time into YouTube growth because obviously yeah. it's been like pretty foundational to your success. Um, like people default to music videos. Sometimes you see artists that are doing vlogs and day in the life. I mean, yeah. do you what have you seen work well when it comes to like consistent? Because obviously consistency is key, but you can't drop a new music video every week.
2: Totally. Totally. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, you Go bankrupt. Do you know, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um, have
0: fun, Jordan.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the key to YouTube content oh is find it. find a niche that works for you. Uh you know, just be, be original and, and just be yourself as well. Don't try and be like a vlog. If you're not a vlogger, don't be a vlogger. right? It's like don't tr- if you're a manager and your artist is shy and does not have a great personality and honestly just it's not good looking. Don't put them in front of a camera. It's right. not a good idea, you know. But if they're a really talented, incredible producer, have them make tutorials on how to make songs, you know. Like, for example, this artist called Ramzoid. He's not particularly massive, but his YouTube channel pops the fuck off because he does these things where he says, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Billy Eilish, uh bad guy and make it into a trap song in 30 minutes and show you guys how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just does it on YouTube and just does it on YouTube. He has this uh hidden face in the top right corner and then his screen and he's like, all right, I'm gonna fuck around and do this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna do this and do that. And it's fucking really entertaining. And he mm-hmm. just does it on his free time. I doubt his manager told him to do that. I think he's just doing it based on him enjoying doing it. And that's right. really the core of it. You know, it's like when you create a YouTube channel based on trying to get views and, and trying to get engagement, it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work. But if you do it for the passion, and the fun and, and 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 then inspire of it, people love it. You know, right. it really shows off, especially on camera if your face is on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and And that's really, I think the core to to YouTube content. I mean, obviously like thumbnails and titles are super super important. right? Um, there's a video that just came out on this channel that showed just actually how important thumbnails and titles are. Um, you know, doing a vlog a day in the life of an artist you know just isn't that entertaining everyone yeah. does it but if you can do like a niche where it's like okay how I created this song in 30 minutes or how to create um, I don't know like Baby Shark into a trap song in, in less than 10 minutes you know, like dumb shit like that kids love it and people on YouTube will click it you know it just gets sure, recommended sure. and people
1: can see through that shit too like, yeah. um, one of my clients, he has super high engagement on all of his socials. And we're like, what the, like, how do we learn from this? What is it? he doing? You JPEG, yeah. yeah. It's like, how what what is he doing? How do we capitalize JPEG off this? JPEG
0: mafia for <laughs> our average listener. Right. And, it,
1: and it's like, just he's being himself. He doesn't yeah. give a fuck. That's, yeah. that's why his engagement's so high. Yeah. He's just literally himself. Like, yeah. even when we run ads, it's like, yo, tell me something to make, Tell me the copy to put into this ad. Because if yeah. I do it myself, it's not going to sound like you and people are going to know.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, so I watched a really fascinating video that compared uh the success of Jack Plaque's blog on YouTube. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen it recently, but it's amazing. Jablinski Games on YouTube. And it's also just like super fast growing YouTube channel. And they compared his vlog to like Will Smith and Dwayne Rock Johnson, who were both like and what they what they really found, and they, they showed that he was getting like 10x more views, mm-hmm. uh, re, like James, um, Jack Black was getting 10x more views relative to The Rock or Will Smith. And it's funny because The Rock and Will Smith, the production value is so much higher. Mm-hmm. But because Jack Black had this very like raw thing that he was doing with his son, just had the natural personality yeah. trait of being able yeah, to yeah. entertain the hell out of people online. like. It's all these factors. I think the more you like overproduce and even so as somebody that like produces content for artists, it's one thing I've really been realizing a lot lately too. It's like we can make the most cinematic video that has 15 cuts, but (laughs) it's not going to work as good as just one super lit clip from behind the booth that looks like it was shot on an iPhone. Look at David Dobrik.
2: He makes four minutes. Literally every video makes is four minutes and 20 seconds. He gets a shit ton of fucking views. His engagement is nutty. It's literally (laughs) fucking out of this world. And he gets way more views than than like I think he gets more on his total content, he gets more views than a show like Stranger Things, a multi-million dollar budget show on That's Netflix. Crazy. You know, it's it's fucking nuts. And he I guarantee you he doesn't he's not putting more than like five thousand dollars per yeah. show per episode into like his YouTube things. All he does is take the camera he rolls around with his fun little group of community friends mm-hmm. and he just does some dumb shit on a camera I mean, it's, not, it's not like dumb but it's just like random very entertaining dumb shit right. from, in 4 minutes literally 4 minutes and 20 seconds and he gets mm-hmm. like 10 million views 8 yeah, million views for sure. every single video for sure yeah. do
0: you guys help your, the artists on your uh, roster create content or you still just kind of leave that in their ballpark
2: no we do, we, do. Okay. Um, we, we definitely for a lot of the artists that we're really trying to develop we really focus on the YouTube channel for cloud specifically I focus so so heavily on his YouTube channel. I mean, that's my number one focus is really creating community on his YouTube channel. So he, he so he doesn't need someone like Trap Nation to help him grow in the future. Mm, right. You know, he has all his own fans. Um, for a lot of the other ones, it's sometimes it's, it's quite difficult because with Cloud, I kind of created the brand with a few other people from Gecko. get-go. So mm-hmm. I kind of created it with the mindset of creating a YouTube channel to make sure it works really well on YouTube. Right. Whereas some of the artists that we brought on in the record label, because they're just like DJs or they're just like good looking guys, it's, it's hard to... Try and figure out something organic and unique to do with them, mm-hmm. and that's really just a struggle. You know, I'm not I'm not a genius by any matter. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just really good at starting for something from the get go and making sure it works for all the platforms. Mm-hmm. But if you give me something that's already like you know three months in, it's hard to change it around and make it into something that works on everything. Totally. Um, but yeah, we do we do help a lot of the artists um, create content. We have YouTube space available in LA and New York City, where um, you know, for example, one of these artists that we're developing right now called William Black. Uh, they're filming a uh, music video. I think actually this week in YouTube Space LA. And that's like a free, if anybody knows what YouTube Space is, it's just like, basically if you have a YouTube channel that has a lot of subscribers or even 10,000 subscribers, you get access to free massive studio spaces. You get rentals to some of the best cameras in the world, uh, lighting equipment in the world, and it's all free. And you basically can just create content in there. Um, So for us, because we have so many bigger YouTube channels, we get a ton of YouTube Space to yeah. use for these things, and artists that we're developing, we kind of just throw them in there. We're like, "Yo, we're gonna make you a music video for a budget." we basically we're gonna make you a fifteen thousand dollars music video for like a five thousand dollars budget because we right. have all this free studio space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's huge, so huge. Uh, and then we only, we're only doing music videos right now for that. We're gonna start doing uh, content. We're gonna start doing, uh, especially for cloud. We just finished a music video in YouTube Space LA. We're gonna start doing more content um, and like more engaging things that's just yes. outside of just music videos and stuff like for that. Sure. Yeah.
0: You you quickly glossed over. Growing on Instagram and other socials yeah. is just social and content strategy. Let's, let's take, let's dive in for a sec. What do you think are the, the, like the 80-20 of growing a engaged fan base across other social channels? Like the 20% of
2: activities that create 80% of the impact? Uh, I've actually never even heard of that. 80-20. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, for, I, on, I honestly don't understand social media that well. I mean, I'm young. I understand it from like a, like a person that scrolls and like interacts yeah. with content. I yeah, understand yeah. what's good content and what's bad content. Right. I'm very good at understanding that kind of stuff, but I'm not like a person that can sit down and give you like a six month content plan that says, um, okay, this is how you're going to grow up your Instagram by a thousand. You know, I'm not like Elliot who runs like and <laughs> dunks and all right, that right, stuff. Right, He's right. a genius at that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah, not not yeah. my job. I'm good right. with YouTube. Um, for, for the Instagram stuff, I mean, I think I, I treat every platform very simple from the foundation base. So when I tell people, um, you know, that when an artist comes to me or an artist manager and they say, why isn't my YouTube channel doing really well? And then I look at the YouTube channel and it's really just like a static image with an audio behind it. I'm like, dude, YouTube is a video platform. <laughs> right. It's not about the music. It's about the video you upload the content you're uploading. So it's like focus on the video. Instagram is a photo based, it's a visual platform. It should always be about the visual. It should never be about just the music and all this right. stuff. Like focus on the visual. Twitter it's an, it's a description based like community based um what is it called? Like social platform it should right. be about socializing and communicating with people. You right. know, tr- don't treat Twitter like a YouTube platform, don't treat YouTube like a Twitter platform. It just right, doesn't right. make sense. Right. 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 Um, so, that and that's my core advice to all the artists that we work with and everyone on social media. I think it. And I'm not gonna lie, our social media on Tribe Nation isn't even that good because yeah. I'm I'm not the, really the one focusing on it. But with like Cloud social media and William Black social media and all these artists that we're developing from the core. You know, the engagement's fucking popping off. You know, right. a lot of these artists are getting, you know, for example, Cloud has 16,000 followers, but he gets like 150 comments per post on his Instagram. And right. all it is is just really visually appealing stuff with a comment that leads into something. Right. So whether it's a release, whether it's uh we haven't done any merch giveaways, but whether it's a merch giveaway or an exclusive item drop or something, it has to lead into something. People enjoy it. Um, and then even with with Trap Nation, you know, it just has to be visually appealing. You know, with, right. with Trap Nation for a while, when we had a lot of merch available because we kind of stopped selling merch and we're, we're reintroducing are like a rebrand right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but when we were selling merch and really focusing on selling merch, our idea was just okay. Let's just keep posting content, really dope photos of people just wearing our merch. You know, yeah. really set content. And because I actually do, I do photography as a hobby on the side. I just took a lot of those photos and just kind of said, you know, here, guys, here's my photos. You know, you like it, you like it, kind of thing. And people really enjoyed it. But the the better part about that was it created that personal effect where it's like, oh, the owner of Trap Nation is taking his own photos and posting on Trap Nation. They're really dope and they're on the merch. And it's like all this, everything kind of just like added together Mm -hmm. and collided. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, just like post dope fucking content. Don't post cheesy shit. You know, if you're a DJ, you know, no one wants to see you at a waterfall in Hawaii. You know, post something where it's like you're playing a fucking heavy show and like you're throwing the fuck down and there's like a cool visual effect on on the film or something. I don't know. Like just think of something original and unique, something that looks cool. Mm-hmm. and i th- I feel like it would do well, yeah, yeah, it's For pretty sure. simple. I feel like I think like social media people try to co- over complicate it so hard, but it's so so simple mm-hmm. in reality it's like someone's scrolling they have, their brain is giving them like a second to think, "Oh, do I like this or do I not like it?" and then it's like two seconds, not even probably like a second and a half, do I comment on it or do I not comment on it? Right. You know, it doesn't have to be something that's like fucking insane. just do something simple that's cool and, and unique, mm-hmm.
0: and
1: someone will say, "Okay, I like that
0: you know yeah, yeah, yeah totally, totally it's so
1: simple, yeah. So um, what are some things that you've learned as a new artist manager? Like what are some lessons specific to management you think you've learned? Uh, communication is really important. was <laughs> so
2: important. Communication <laughs> is so important. I was, I'm honestly ter- so terrible at communicating. Um, I just, It's not my, my, uh, my strength as a person, to be honest. I'm learning how to be better at communicating. But communicating with her artists, uh, making sure at every moment they, not, they don't have everything they need, but making sure everything is moving. Uh, always following up with people—that's really, really huge. Um, and at the core of it, I think just being like, being like, don't treat it just like a business. Treat it like you're a friend. Right. I think with a lot of a lot of artists, because they're they're artists, they're creatives, they're more emotional. They're not so much just like I want to make money. I want I want to create this into a business and be, be a yeah. multimillionaire. They're kind of just like I want to do this because I love fucking making music. You know, right. treat you know treat them like a, a human, and obviously be their friend. Um, you know the person who does cloud. You know we're best friends. You know we hang out all the time. We go out to dinner all the time. We talk literally every fucking day for hours and hours. Yeah. Um. You know that community that like relationship that we have is really important to right. making sure he always is on top of his shit. And I'm I'm always on top of my shit. Obviously we get in arguments here and there. Um. But with those kind of things, it's like don't turn them into conflicts. Turn them into like constructive things that come out with a really good solution for right. the project. Right. Uh, I think that's always really valuable. Um. And just always focus on you know. Because I I know my strengths as someone who works in music. I know I'm really good at AR and I know I'm really good at marketing and, and visual appealing content. That's what I focus on from cloud. I make sure his branding is top notch and it's always improving. It's never going down. Um, make sure everything is always improving and make sure everything is consistent. I know, with with you know, with the cloud's music or the cloud project, there was times where, you know, we'd go to a show or something. Maybe like roofs of solar zoo. And we get super inspired. We're like, yo, we should make something something like super chill and like experimental. And then when we make something, we're like, this doesn't fit the project at all. You know, if we (laughs) put this out, fans will be like, what the fuck are you doing? So it's just like being consistent and know who your fan base is and know what you want to do. You Mm -hmm. know, if you, if with Tram Nation, I wouldn't say I made this mistake, but I realized once you build a brand, and it's there and it's consistent after three, four years, you really can't change that much. It's pretty concrete, and you can only do very little things to kind of like minute little changes to make it what you want it to be. Uh, but you can't change it that much. If you do change it, then you lose a lot of the old fans that you really want that are very, very uh, mm-hmm. valuable. With Cloud, because it's such a new project, we're making sure what we're putting out right now is what we want it to be in the next three, four years right. and kind of like lead into that. And don't make it so constrictive. You know, A lot of the music that we're going to put out in the next six months is super fucking cool. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it's not like a lot of music you're hearing out right now in the dance community. And mm-hmm. I've listened to a fuck ton of music in the last yeah. seven years in the dance community. I, I know what's regurgitated and I know what's new. Mm-hmm. Um, or I hope I do at least. You know, so I think it's just like trying to always progress, uh, be new with things, and and always prioritize your strengths and and you know, improve your weaknesses over time. You know, I'm always trying to improve my communication with him mm-hmm, and make sure right. uh, we're always talking about things and getting things done and following mm-hmm. up on things. Uh, for him, he's always trying to improve his music, which is the biggest thing. The music yeah. should always be number one, no matter what. Right. Um, and then the branding, the brand should always come right behind the music. I think so, at least. Um, and then I just focus entirely on the branding. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say I would say the same thing. Just as a manager, I think communicating yeah. and figuring out how to communicate with artists is like the biggest thing. Yeah. Especially when you want to say something that they don't want to hear. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's yeah, like-
2: yeah. That's really imp- actually that's so true. Don't. <laughs> I learned because I'm a very shy person just running this company in the last four years. Um, don't be afraid to say what you need to say, especially if you're the person that's running the company. Don't let someone like try and tell you what to do in your own company. <laughs> do what you think is best for the company. And mm-hmm. if someone tries to tell you, you know, don't to do it, don't do it. You know, listen to them. But, you know, if, if you are really head and you think your answer is right, just go for it. Right. Um. got to go with you your know, gut. Yeah. Go, you got to go with your gut. I mean, with, with, artist manager i think that's super important if you make one mistake or if say the artist tweets one bad thing it can ruin your career for months it can set you back so far compared to what you want to, where you want to be right um and it's super important just to, like double check everything and and always if there, if you think there's a problem or if you think there's something not going right you you should 100% say it right yeah and fail fast that's just life in general too yeah, yeah. for sure <laughs> relationships everything yeah right. has it
0: been challenging Having to learn on the fly as like a young early twenties CEO, man, like running a running point on a team of sixteen people.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily run point. I, I, I the, the president of the company, Creighton, kind of just has been doing like he's really like the business manager of the company. Nice. He kind of does all that stuff for me.
0: That's
2: awesome. Um, I, I'm obviously still learning and how to run how to run a company and, and operate right. and manage people. Um, but he's been a huge help in, in trying to like guide, a guide and mentor for me to get there. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely been a challenge. Um, I think the weirdest part is hiring people that are older than you, significantly older than you, and, and <laughs> like trying to tell them what to do. It's just a, it's just a weird no, like sure. social thing, yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's also like. When I was 19 or 20, going out to like shows and venues and like meeting an executive at a record label or, or a big manager, it was like, it's very hard to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and like, I don't, I don't blame them. I wouldn't take someone serious either that young. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, they're naive. They're, they're arrogant. You know, they're young and they, they think they're the shit. And for the most part, they most, most of them do. Um, and that's just something you learn over time. Mm-hmm. Uh so I don't blame people for like not taking me seriously and stuff like that. And I still don't blame people now for not taking me seriously. I'm <laughs> right. still super young. Right. Um I'm still learning a lot, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the day to day. That's my earliest goal. It's just that's my goal all the time. It's just yeah. always try and learn and improve. Um, so that's my yeah. advice for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: for sure.
1: to we'll get into these hot takes.
0: Uh one question too. I think uh I mean, you get to work in a pretty creative field. I think as a businessman, oftentimes like going so balls to the wall with business can sometimes constrict the true creativity of the fields. Mm -hmm. But I think obviously your personal photography um, is super cool, man. And I mean, I think you got a dub touch. And how valuable is it to
2: you to have that as a creative outlet? Uh, Like the photography stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Super valuable. I mean, I went through like a a quarter life crisis um, (laughs) working in music in LA. And I was just like. I I was like I don't even know if I want to work in music anymore. I, I don't even enjoy my job that much, just because it was <laughs> it was just so much when I was in LA. It was just uh, the world just coming down to me. and was just like learning so much shit, making so many mistakes, and always being told you're wrong about certain right, things. Right, right, right. Um, and shit just fucking up. I was like, dude, this shit is fucking difficult. It's really not that easy. Yeah. Um, and I started to lose a lot of the passion and creativity I wanted to have in Trap Nation. So I was like, okay, how do I? How do I? get into something else that i'm going to really enjoy and i've always really enjoyed photography i've never taken it seriously to be honest Mm -hmm. and especially now you know now that i have like expandable income to spend on things like this um i can buy like a nice camera i'm not saying you need a nice camera to take nice photos by far you don't right um you know i started with a really shitty camera like a canon t3i like 300 Mm -hmm. and i would just go around and take photos and just learn how to like do composition framing and and lighting and contrast and all these different things Mm -hmm. um and now obviously I love photography and it's it's been actually a huge help like with all the cloud branding everything's mm-hmm, taken that's by cool. me nice. um I don't really I mean I trust' other photographers, but when I take when i when I take photos of certain things I just see it in my head I just see exactly what right, I want it to look like right, right um and with cloud because I have so much ambition and passion to it I know exactly what it's gonna look like when I take a photo of it right um and I've been doing it for now like two years two and a half years photography mm-hmm. and i wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm nowhere near like intermediate expert level at all i like, every time i go out I, i'm like i take a thousand photos and one is good The right. like 999 are just dog shit like right. so bad right, right, you're like right, oh right. Is, is this what all photographers feel like i don't know <laughs> um but you know it, it, as long as i get that one good photo i'm really happy with it yeah um but no i love photography it's 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 one of those things where i just go out just put on headphones i just listen to like a playlist and i just go out for like three hours right you know get three hours of walking in um and just take photos of things i look Think look really cool, and then that's sometimes awesome. I use them like trap nation backgrounds or. Yeah. Obviously, I put them on my Instagram, and, and fans really enjoy it and, and like looking at them. Yeah, yeah
0: that's awesome. Dope. Um, one other, uh, so we do have a hot take segment that we're gonna get to,
2: where it's, it's like hot wings. So you eat something? Yeah. Under the table, takes. Takes. Oh. <laughs> we've got some takes. Okay, cool. no. okay. uh-huh. um But
0: obviously, I'm sure. You, like, I think you've kind of shifted away. A bit from the AR role, but I'm sure just through having like founded the nations, like people yeah. are still hitting you up all the time to get like, yo, got this new Dude, record, all the time. Still, yeah. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. um, <laughs> what, uh, in the artists that have gone through because it's, I mean, it's valuable getting playlisted, obviously, like it's not going to be a direct translation to fans, but like getting a feature on the on Trap Nation or getting plugged on a playlist, I mean, that can, I mean, that can create a sizable bump in an artist's yeah, career, yeah, totally, um. Having received probably at this point thousands, if not tens of thousands of submissions, what stands out? What advice can you give to artists that are trying to make their way onto actual playlists?
2: Um, I mean, like regarding like hitting up people and just like trying to like some, be someone that stands out.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, dude, it's, it's so hard to give an answer to because it's, there's just so many different ways to contact people now. I mean, obviously don't DM people. Uh, when artists DM me, I look at their DMs, but I just I just don't open them because it's just like, hey, I just don't want to listen to music. When I'm on Instagram, right? You know, mm-hmm. wasting my life away scrolling on my feed. <laughs> it's just not, it's not my priority at that moment. Um, you know, I, I would say be respectful. If someone doesn't answer you, you know, don't go off of them. You, you're not going to get an answer. If you, I mean, you might get an answer, but it's not going to be a good answer. Have people go off gone of off on of you before? Yeah, no, I've had people like go off on of me and be like, "Oh, you're, you're like so entitled, blah." You never check my submissions, and I actually like, check most of the submissions that I get on my email and stuff like that. I just sometimes I just don't respond. Um, you know, if someone sends me a dubstep song, I'm not responding. It's like, dude, listen to my channel. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's trap music. Why are you sending me dubstep? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, oh, hey, look, it, there's two things that piss me off. When people send me music that doesn't fit my channel, when publicists send me music that doesn't fit my channel. Yeah. If you're a publicist and your job is to literally get stuff placed and you can't even listen to my channel, and like you're just sending me, like, oh, hey, Andre, I, I posted on my Facebook a while ago. Hey, Andre, you know, I have this new song. I really think it's going to fit Trap Nation. I listen to it. It's like a rhythm song. It's like, just absolutely way out of my league to upload. I'm just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? It's a country I, song. Like people are paying you to do this. People yeah. are paying you to fucking send me a song. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really appreciate that. But it's like I understand. Like some young kids who are, I understand when it's like younger kids or kids that are, like people that just don't really know what trap music is. Just sending music because they just want to get placed in general. Like especially rappers, they always send me songs because trap music is. It's trap music, you know? It's like when they go to Trap Nation, they're like, they're like, oh, you know, the Trap Nation kind of thing. I, you know, it's, it's just a lot of subscribers and they I want to get a place. I understand that. Uh, so I don't really get that mad about it. I listen to the songs and I'm just like, okay, it's rap music. And I send it to Rap Nation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I send it over. But yeah, I mean, be respectful. Um, don't Instagram DM, don't Twitter DM. Just for me personally, I mean, some people prefer that stuff. I just know for Spotify and Apple Music, that's not going to work. Just reply. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a panel with with Austin Kramer, who's the dance electronic playlister for Spotify, and he was really adamant about just using the Spotify tool to submit music. um yeah, they get a thousand submissions a day, but, like if that's the way to do it, just do it just follow the follow the guidelines, follow the rules um you know, we're a label and we we follow those guidelines, and rarely do we get stuff placed, but sometimes in the blue moon, we get stuff placed, so you know, I think it works it's just it's just a lot of submissions
0: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. um you know, I wish you know we we go through a lot of submissions. I wish more channels on YouTube and more curators had teams built behind them that did go through as many submissions as they, as they got. Um, I think there's a lot of curators that are just like one man teams that really just do not check submissions at all. And I think it's, it creates a really unfair playing field because a lot of the submissions or a lot of the music that's going up is just like relationships with managers, relationships mm-hmm. with labels, and they kind of prioritize that. Whereas I think it's kind of well, my philosophy with music is, especially with the curation channel from day one, is it's, it's not about, it's not about like trying to upload the the biggest music at the time. You know, 1% of the submission, or if you check 99% of your submissions and there's that one upload in there that's just from the small artist and it makes up 99% of your views, mm-hmm. dude, that's like, that's your whole thing, right? It's like right. your whole channel, like right. Two Feet, Go Fuck Yourself, which is a massive upload for Trap Nation. That was just on a random submission on the channel. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then well, from a manager that I knew, but he submitted it to me. I was like, I checked his email, I opened it, I was like, this is cool. I didn't really know him at the time. Um and I was like, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll upload this and then eventually three months later I uploaded it and it did really well. Um, but just be proactive and I think I think checking submissions and going out of your way and being proactive about a and stuff and not just letting stuff come to you is really important as well. Um, like going out on SoundCloud and going out on Facebook and all these different things and just right. trying to find new artists and discover new things is really important for mm-hmm. curation just in general. Yeah. Discovering new music. Um, but for artists, yeah, just be respectful. Send your music if you don't get reply. You know, don't hate on them. You know, some some people just aren't gonna reply. Right. Um, and be patient. You know, yeah. you know, it's for artists I've seen some artists literally, there's artists that have submitted me a song for the last three years. You know, when I was like seventeen to now or, or eighteen to now, I've gotten still emails from these people I remember three years ago, they were so bad. I'm talking, like, so, so bad. Like, they make their music <laughs> on, like, GarageBand. It was just so trash. Yeah. And then now, like, they're actually sending music that would upload and, like, carry it on the channel. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, just be patient. You know, three years later, yeah, you're going to upload this to the channel. It's a long time. But it's just, like, if you're really that patient and you're that, like, inspired about making good music, it'll pay off. Right. 100%. Right. Always. Always. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Cool. So the hot take segment, this isn't necessarily stuff that we believe, but stuff we may have heard or, or maybe misconceptions sometimes. Oh, but I uh, just, just want to get, the pot, get your man. take. Cool. Yeah, just yeah. Stir yeah. Stir yeah, stir
1: the pot,
2: it, Whatever.
0: Major labels don't know how to use the internet.
2: Um, I'm sure the guys that run the major labels don't know how to run, use the internet, but they sure are good at hiring people that understand the internet. Okay. Um, I know for a fact, because Atlantic has like Six kids from Harvard and four kids from MIT that all run the analytical department, and they're all geniuses.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> they may not understand social media, but they definitely understand analytics and data uh, pixel targeting and all that bullshit. Right, right, right. That has, you know, whenever you visit major labels or uh, say Ariana Grande's website, five minutes later on Facebook, you're getting ads for, you know, her tickets to her next show. Right. That's five blocks away from you, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, so, no, I, d- I definitely think they understand the internet. I just don't think they understand cultural movements.
1: Mm.
0: you dive deeper there? Like I, cultural movements, like what, uh, what do you understand about, or what, what, <laughs> <laughs> what,
2: <laughs>
1: cool. what, what you the know fuck hot take, the what do you know, know. about <laughs> cultural movements? I, I, I don't know much about <laughs>
0: no, but, but like, what, what, can, what, what can be gleaned or maybe examples <laughs> that you've seen uh, cultural movements leveraged well, if you will. Um, you
2: know, I, I, think it's, I think it's more or less like, I'm going to go back to United Masters because I think, I think their social media has run really, really well. Um, for for a record label slash distribution company, if you look at any record label, any distribution company, anything, most of their social media, ninety nine percent of social media blows dick. literally mm. is so 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 bad. It's like <laughs> Columbia Records, all they do is just post cover arts and they say, oh, Erykah is next or You're Columbia so, Records says yeah, yeah. Diplo, Diplo's next release is next week, kind of thing. It's just like okay, right. You know, we can hear that on Diplo's social media. Right? You know, why would we want to follow Columbia Records together? Told. Whereas like Yeah I Masters posting information and uh upcoming news about what artists are talking about mm-hmm. or uh what deals are being signed and and, and people especially in the hip hop community wanna know that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to talk about that stuff and people want to hate on that stuff too. They right. want to they want to express their opinions and have a platform to say, you'll fuck me, or like fuck Drake or like all these different things. And a lot of them go to like Things like United Masters and Complex right. and all these different places to express those opinions, mm-hmm. whereas like no one goes to like Republic Records, Instagram, and says, "Oh, I fucking hate your artist." Right? You know, it just doesn't happen. Totally. Um, or that they, they also don't go there and say, "Hey, I love your artist." You know, if it's positive, they just also don't say that. Right. Um, so I just think. But again, it's like for a major label, that's they don't care about that because it doesn't make the money. You know, so Instagram is not going to make them guap. It's not going to make them any cash. You know, their biggest priority is making sure Grande's album is number one for twenty weeks right. on Billboard. That's their they're number one records. priority. They're selling records. Yeah. You know, it's like, and they don't have to understand the culture because it doesn't fucking matter. You know, they're they're there to be making sure. Uh, their biggest artists are making as much money as possible, and getting the most exposure possible on radio, on Spotify, on iTunes, and everything, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Whereas United Masters is their their whole philosophy is fuck the major label scene, you know, sign to us, and we're gonna give you a good split. We're not gonna take your master. I don't think they sign masters, do they? No, they don't. They don't sign the masters. I don't know it's just like, a distribution the... The company, I'm yeah, pretty right, sure. Right, right. And it's all about saying like fuck the system, come to us, we'll make sure you get we you get money. Same with Stem. Like Stem's whole thing philosophy or was for a while was you know sign up, we don't take your master and you get paid per mm-hmm. month or whatever. Cobalt, AWOL, same exact philosophy. Right, right, right. They under, that's the culture that artists want, the younger developing artists. Yeah. But the Aaron and is Taylor Swift's, Shawn Mendes, they don't give a fuck about that. They're getting yeah, paid yeah. millions of dollars. That's just like the game. You, know? you just got to understand you know, what certain artists want and, and need and what the younger mm-hmm. artists want
1: to do in their careers. Right. All right, like second it. hot take. A media property can't. A media property can't successfully run a record label as a uh, as successfully as a traditional record label. Is it like me? Pretty much. Pretty no. much. Man.
2: Um, as a traditional label,
1: go for the jugular. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: no. <laughs> I, I actually. I mean, it depends. Like, it depends. Like, <laughs> what, what we do again? It's like depends. Like, what, what you're talking about? I mean. Sure, like we can't run. We cannot do radio. You know, we're not that good at radio. I'm sure there's there's companies that can like independent record labels that can do radio. Like Future Classic, for example, with Flume, they can do radio. Um, they they did radio. You know that they did that. Um, who else? Chance the rapper. He's independent. He's he did radio, right? He was on radio. He, just, lot, he crushed yeah. it. You know, his album <laughs> fucking blew up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't need a traditional record label, I think, to to do what a traditional record label does. But that's what they're meant to do. I would say. Yes, media networks can do what a traditional record label does in the grand scheme of things. Yes, they hundred percent can. It's a hundred percent a possibility. Those record labels started from somewhere. You know, they, they had to get from somewhere. They started from ground zero. I think it's always a possibility. I just don't think it's very probable. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it, I don't think someone like me. Again, it's like our goals are not to go to radio, top forty radio, and do those mm-hmm. things. They will never be our goals. I don't want to do that. I think that's boring. I think it's I think it's traditional, and it doesn't make sense for what our model is. Um, as expensive as fuck too. We don't, the <laughs> money. we don't have the money to go to Top Forty Radio for any of our mm-hmm. artists, um, so I, I think it's definitely possible. It's just not probable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just the right. yeah.
0: But no, but I think it is interesting though. And you, I mean, you just made the point even when you're talking about Lyrical Lemonade now, like Lil Pump, Juice yeah. WRLD. I mean, there's a lot of value to be created in the. Uh, I mean, even if you look in like the venture capital landscape, you have like seed stage investors, then you have like Series A and Series yeah. B investors, and there's Essentially different entities that are helping businesses at different stage of their life cycle. And like, doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to be as profitable or as impactful. I mean, like some of the, I mean, if you're a seed stage investor in a company, the amount of equity or that you're getting per dollar is like way higher than when you invest later down the line. So I think it's like you're able to get in at an earlier stage, make an impact. And then maybe, uh, down the road, an artist that you help break. Does end up getting this major offer from a major oh, yeah. label, and that's a win. That's a win. That's a win. Yeah,
1: it's a it's a win. A win. yeah, yeah
0: for
2: sure. For sure. Dude, honestly, I mean, I think with a lot of well, with a lot of the new artists, I think it's it's been incredible because a lot of them are getting more educated on how to sign a deal that works for them as artists. Right. I think in the past, like four years, especially in the hip hop culture, that when it when it really took off and rocketed major levels took advantage of it. And they're like, yo, there's a lot of it, hip-hop artists that are just from, like, these little communities in Florida and Chicago and New York and L.A. and they don't have any money. We can get away with signing 95-5 deals for, like, three albums and give them, like, a million dollars and sign their life away. They right. could do that. But now that a lot of these artists are speaking out and, like, Jay-Z's coming out and saying, like, you know, fuck that shit. Rihanna's coming out and saying, fuck that shit. She owns her masters. I'm pretty sure she does now, at least. Or Beyonce, I think, owns mm-hmm. her master. I don't know. Mm-hmm. one of those artists. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are getting educated and aware that." you sh- you should you know have a team that's that's making sure that you're signing a deal that works for you as an artist long term right you know um i think it's not i think it's i hope it's not just becoming about getting a huge advance anymore I hope right. it's about making sure your royalty split is really good, making sure you're not signing like your life away for forever, make sure you're not signing your rights in perpetuity, you know stuff like that yeah um so
1: I think you just have to balance what works for you, you yeah, know? like let's go back to this ninety five five deal Obviously, that deal is kind of insane. But what if yeah. somebody gave you like twenty million dollars? Exactly. <laughs> you know, then maybe you think, in reality, like,
2: if you want the money, take the money. Yeah. But just, you know, I think more artists. I think artists are getting more concerned about their owning their own rights now. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's their music when they get them back. Yeah. 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 You know, artists want their music back. That's the biggest thing. Um, I, I honestly, per, I personally think Rick Lebel should never take perpetuity in records ever. Uh, unless you're paying them like the biggest chunk of change in the world, and the artist, <laughs> the artist knows that they're signing. I think it's like super unfair to sign records in perpetuity. Right. Um, I don't think it's fair. I think it should be actually against the law, but that's just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Totally. Awesome. Well, uh, Andre, man, we, it's been incredible having you on. Super excited to see the continued growth and success of the company, man.
2: Dude, my pleasure, dude. It's really hot in here, but my pleasure. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, had to turn uh, off the AC yeah, for
0: no, audio purposes. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. we gonna turn it right on. And he just came back from the gym yeah, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and all these hot takes, damn. Yeah, yeah it's so hot. Hot takes, so hot, hot. Yeah. Awesome, Andre. Thank you so much, man. Dude,
1: of course. Man, it was super great learning from him. I I think one of the things that inspired everybody in this room the most about him is that he's pretty young. I mean, if I had to guess, he's like 22, 23 years old, seeing as he started the, the platform in 2012 when he was 15 the channel um, so
0: got a mathematician over here
1: <laughs> to, yo 2012 you know that's 7 years ago oh damn 7 plus 15 oh. you know what to do baby this is NYU education <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah just learning from somebody super young I think I think you guys through that interview heard a lot of his maturity both as a person but also as a businessman um, I think he had a lot of great mentors in the game. He was clearly a super humble guy and there was a lot to learn literally just from him talking about everything from how he started the how he started the channel to the people that he learned from him going to Silicon Valley for two years, you know, um, the different media platforms now that he can leverage in order to in order to offer something different in the record label world is especially, you know, me working at a management company is used to this traditional record label uh, mold, so to speak, Um, his sort of breaks that mold entirely. Um, and I think they're two different things. You know, I don't think they necessarily compete with each other, like you said. But it, for me, it was an eye-opening experience to hear how media companies influence listeners in the market. So um, I hope everybody enjoyed it because I definitely did. Totally. Uh,
0: yeah, super awesome guy. Check him out on Instagram at BenzBNZ. Um, incredible photographer. And I think, too, just I really am excited to see where the industry is going. I definitely think that creating an audience is one of the most valuable things and I think he's young CEO, 16 person team that's largely been built off the foundation of the fact that he just was able to create a massive community across YouTube Right. Um, I think whether you're a manager for an artist, whether you're entrepreneurial whether you're working at a label um, being tactful and actually creating an audience is going to be one of the most powerful assets you can develop so um, pay attention to that, think about ways you could do that, try stuff out, it could take you a long way um, as always, uh, thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions, you can hit us up at Music Business Podcast on Instagram or leave a review on iTunes. Um, stay tuned. We got some more fire on the way. We appreciate y'all.
1: We out.